0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that it would be made clear to us what you would have for us today, that your spirit would speak to us, that you would be lifted up, that we would see you and understand what you have for us in Jesus. Thank you for this time. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our reading last week, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1 to 11, was basically a recap of what had happened in the life of Israel from the Exodus to the point that they are now on the east side of the Jordan River getting ready to cross over into the Promised Land. Moses was telling them, that God was about to bless them. And he would use them to reveal himself to the world and ultimately those who had faith in Yahweh. And ultimately, we know, in Jesus, who really could not be understood without this context of the nation and its history and its laws. Moses was reminding them of what had happened and telling them what was going to happen, and he was pleading with them to remember, to remember God and who he is and what he had done and never forget. This week, our section of scripture is a recap of the laws that God had given to Israel prior to that point. Most of which are recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, or Numbers. Deuteronomy, by the way, means second law or repeated law, and it's largely this section from which it draws its name. The truth is we who understand the grace of God and the ideas of the new covenant in Christ often struggle with the law. And many of these laws in particular. And what these laws mean to us. And and I'm no exception. But historical Christianity has always maintained that the law and these laws have great value. And it is important we do not accidentally slip into a heretical position called antinomianism. That basically concludes that there is no need or purpose for the law. Many saints who have gone before us from Paul until today have given us frameworks to to help us understand the law and how it applies to us. One of those people was John Calvin. According to Calvin and many others, and not just Calvinists, the first view of the law is pedagogical what it teaches us. Specifically, what it teaches us about God and His perfect righteousness in nature, and what it teaches us about our human sinfulness and condition. The law is seen as a schoolmaster that drives us to Christ because it highlights our desperate need for a Savior. The second use of the law is its civil use, which means it helps us know the best way to live in society, and it helps restrain evil. Thus, our culture has codified many of the commandments repeated in this section, such as you shall not murder or steal, or actually related to justice and property rights. The third use of the law emphasizes that the law reveals to us what is pleasing to God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The law serves as a guide for us to honor God and give him glory. All that said, passages like the one we're looking at today can still be really challenging. One thing this section certainly does, though, is it establishes the absolute uniqueness of the nation of Israel, particularly related to the surrounding nations. The peoples, the laws, the nations of the land, which Israel was about to dispossess, were going to be destroyed and replaced largely because of the practices of those people which were, according to God, abominations before Him. The people of Israel were supposed to be different. Their God, the one true God, was also to be understood as absolutely different from the false gods that were being worshipped and served by the people of the land they were about to take. Those gods were not loving, were not faithful, were not forgiving. They weren't even all powerful. Those gods demanded the burning and butchering of their children as a form of worship, as well as all kinds of sexual and moral perversity. (laughs) Worshiping and serving those gods resulted in a very different idea on how to treat foreigners or related to stealing or adultery or lying or murder or justice or proper worship or the treatment of women or the treatment of slaves and definitely related to purity And holiness. When we look at the laws in the Bible, we we need to not so much compare them to our modern-day laws, which, by the way, would be very different if they weren't based on these laws, which they are. But we need to look at these laws in comparison to the laws and behaviors of the nations that were around them. And when we do we gain insight into all three of the areas that were mentioned above. Teaching about God and man, instructions related to civil behavior, and on how we, as the people of God, are to live before God. One particular law, given as a law and intertwined with all of these laws, is directly applicable to us today. And that is the law that is repeated multiple times in the scripture and very much in Deuteronomy 12 to 25 of having no other gods before Yahweh. As I read our scripture selections today, which is more lengthy than normal, listen for the repetition and for the seriousness of this issue. I'm going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 12 verses 1 to 4 and then I'm going to skip through. I've got a number of them here. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God your the God of your fathers has given you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree you shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire you shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy the name out of that place you shall not worship the lord your god in that way then go down 12:29 to 31 When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in the land, take care that you be not ensnared to follow them, after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods, that I also may do the same? You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Then we're going to 17:2 to 5. If there is found among you within... Any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman who does what is evil in sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshiped them, or the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have forbidden, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out of your gates that man or woman who has done the evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. 18 9 to 14 Let's see. And when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, "...you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughters as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord." And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. And then finally we're going to go to 20:16 to 18. "...in the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving you for an, inherit, an inheritance, you shall save nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that you may not teach, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices." that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. Thus ends the reading of the word. Well, that was a lot. But worshiping false gods, and trust me, there are a lot more in this section and throughout the scripture just like that. Worshiping false gods, or leading people away from the true God, or worshiping God in a, the way that false gods are worshiped is very serious. In fact, if you were a part of the covenant community and a person did that, even if that person was your brother or sister, that person was supposed to be killed, and by you, if you knew about it, it was serious. That said, I I do not know any biblical scholars who believe that under the New Covenant we are to kill such people. However, it is a mistake to use the discounting of that aspect of this law, that we are supposed to stone people of the covenant who go after false gods. It is a mistake to use that to discount the law or the seriousness of the issue. Nor is it a justification to discount other difficult parts of the law, which unfortunately the tendency is is to do that too much in the church. For instance, sometimes the law under the new covenant is even more strict. Nowhere is this more clear than when the actual word of God himself, Jesus, interprets the word of God, the commandments of God. And Jesus does not water down or discount the law one bit. In fact, in many cases, he makes it harder. For instance, when he says that if you are angry and call your brother a fool, you'll be guilty of murder and liable to hell. And those parts of the law that are not literally possible to follow also remain very important to us. For instance all the laws, and there are pages and pages and pages of them related to the tabernacle and the sacrifices. There is no longer a tabernacle or a temple for these sacrifices to take place. And even more important is Jesus was the final sacrifice of that system. But that does not mean that the sacrificial system is gone. In fact, it's become harder. No longer are we to bring bowls and grain. We are to present ourselves, as the scriptures tell us, as living sacrifices. Bringing baskets of bread and killing a goat was easier. Now we have to die to ourselves with the mindset of the holiness of God as reflected in the sacrificial system. And we have to do that with a desire to draw near to God, which is the point of the sacrificial system in the first place. We need to be really careful before we write off laws and say they are too harsh or not relevant to us. And at the same time, we need to be careful not to pick up stones and throw them at a brother who is clearly in the wrong. What we need to do when we're dealing with the law is correctly handle the word of truth. Now, concerning the law and the related laws that we're going to look at today, while the consequence to a person who violates the law, getting killed, is is no longer applicable, it still requires absolute obedience as well as a clear understanding of the seriousness and the pervasiveness of the issue. And three things are very clear from our reading related to the worshiping or serving or pandering to other gods than Yahweh. First, we simply are not to do it. I mean, it is that straightforward. This command flows right out of the first commandment of the Ten Commandments that the people of Israel actually heard the voice of God, articulate to them at Mount Sinai. The law is repeated throughout the scriptures and is what made Israel truly unique. It reflects absolute truth. There is no other God. And it puts everything in perspective. It was the primary issue that Yahweh had with the people who were about to be dispossessed of the land. It was what every Jew was to acknowledge daily in the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. It is reflected in the other commandments. The prophets, the Psalms, Jesus, Paul, all emphasized this. When even, even the opposition to, to Jesus by the misguided Jewish leaders was based on this. When Jesus claimed to be that one true God, and they did not believe him, according to them, they had to kill him. We are to have no other gods, period. But we do. Money, a desired retirement lifestyle, success, TV, booze, football teams, They can all become gods that we worship and serve with a devotion, and think about it, with a devotion, time commitment, and intensity that rightly belongs to God Almighty. If anything has become more important to us than God, if we fear something more than God, if we love something more than God, even if it's a good thing, It simply needs to be taken off the altar and maybe even destroyed. The people of Israel, after actually hearing the only true God say, you shall have no other gods before me, after only a few days, were bowing down and worshiping a golden calf. We say, well, but it is a grave mistake to think that we are any different from them. How often do we let things of this life become more important to us than the Lord? With a little effort, you can probably think of other examples of false gods we've created, such as a hope for a certain future, health, a child's well-being, our own capabilities, a political issue or an outcome, These are not necessarily bad things, but we must be on our guard to not let these or other things become the God we serve. Nowhere is this other God issue bigger than when it comes to our very own selves. Worshiping God means trusting him. And desiring his glory. And seeking his kingdom first. do we really trust God more than ourselves? Whose glory and reputation are we in our day-to-day life most concerned about? Whose kingdom do we spend the most time on and thinking about? Ours or our Lord's? The reality is that This issue of putting other gods before Yahweh is an issue for us, just as it always has been for the people of God, and we need to take it seriously. But you know what? When we finally become honest and admit it is an issue and repent and bow before the one true God and worship him and him alone, he forgives us. And he understands. But we have to have no other gods before him. And we have to honor him as God and God alone. Or our outcome will be the same as those people of the land who served other gods. And it will not be good. The second thing we clearly see related to these laws about worshiping other gods is that we are not to behave like those who worship false gods. Now, I don't know or currently know anyone who has a figurine in their house that they ritualistically place offerings in front of or say prayers to. Our idols in our culture are a little less obvious. But the truth is they receive as much or more attention and financial support and devotion and time than those other gods. I also do not know anyone within the visible church taking their child to be burned alive to the god of Moloch or Baal. However, there are a bunch of people in our culture and sadly even within the visible church that are tolerating the sacrificing of unborn babies to the God of what's best for me. The fact is that too many of those who say they are Christians are behaving, simply behaving like the people of the land. Perhaps nowhere is this clearer than when we treat God as a genie or a vending machine by pigeonholing him somewhere in our life, and then only going to him when we want something. If we really look at our life practices towards God, it often isn't that different from those of other religions, and even the irreligious. This command, this law, is really telling us that we worship a different God, who demands that we worship Him differently as who He is, holy and pure and almighty and ever-present, the one true God. We are not to behave like those who are not the covenant people, who worship different gods that allow for all kinds of practices that our God calls abominations. And this is not just child sacrifice. It is treating him as a genie. It is behaving like a demon-possessed Baal worshiper in ecstatic fits at some extremist Pentecostal church. It's trying to appease him, like trying to appease Baal with offerings so he won't zap us or we'll give him an offering so he makes our business successful. It is treating him as less than the holy and pure God, who is worthy of all reverence in all areas of our lives and not just when we want something. We have, we have to take this serious, and, and we are not to behave like the people of the land who worship false gods. The, the third thing we see related to these laws about worshiping other gods is that we are not to tolerate it in any way within the community of God. As I've already clarified, that doesn't mean picking up stones. But we are to tolerate, we we are not to tolerate the worship of other gods. How many times have we seen Christian leaders, or supposed Christian leaders, a pope or a famous evangelist or a Christian politician, participate in a prayer session standing next to a Buddhist or a Native American animist or a Muslim or a Mormon? I mean, who are they praying to? Or if I were to stand in this pulpit and say, give me $1,000 and God will bless you with $10,000 or, or make your pain go away, you, you should confront me immediately and not let such nonsense fester. In fact, you should disassociate with me for, not trying, for, for me trying to get you to worship the genie god of America. Or if you're in a Bible study and someone who professes to be a Christian says that Jesus is not really God, then then you need to stop the study. Make the correction and deal with it. Or if you're having a... And this is a tough one. And if you're having a conversation with a Christian brother or sister or a counselor, and they say that God would really want this or that for you, and you know it is not consistent with God's commandments. You need to know that whatever God that person is referring to is not the God of Scripture. And don't tolerate it. If they persist, take it to the elders and stop considering them a Christian brother or sister and treat them as you would treat someone who's not in Christ. The truth is that we in the church have tolerated too many false teachings about God often because we don't want to offend anybody, often because we don't feel prepared to debate the issue, or often, perhaps, we really are not following the Lord ourselves. But such behavior is serious. That's what these commandments are saying. And if we do tolerate such things, we will be polluted as the people of Israel are polluted, and we too will bear the consequence Of those whom God drove out of the land. Before I close, I want to point out one more thing Israel broke all of these laws, and God punished them just as He said He would in graphic ways. Last Wednesday at the Bible study on the book of Judges, we heard over and over that each man did what was right in his own eyes. They had done all three of the above things multiple times. They had worshipped false gods. They had behaved toward God the way the people of the land behaved towards their false gods. And they had tolerated the worship of false gods within the covenant community of God. And things went really badly for them. But, and and this is what we've got to hold on to. God heard their cry when they repented and turned to him. And he forgave them. And he blessed them. God might discipline us if we get caught up with other gods. But if we turn to him, he will forgive us. He even died for us that our sin of rejecting him in pursuit of other gods could be covered. The purpose of these laws that are in the scripture was not so that God would punish Israel or so that we would live in fear and guilt. His plan was to bless them and to save the world through them. And that remains the same for us, his church. But we need to obey his laws, particularly and fundamentally having no other gods before him. It means we cannot remain in adulterous relationships with other gods. We must stop worshiping and behaving towards God like other people behave towards their false gods. And we need to never tolerate false gods or the proponents of false gods within our lives or the church. And when we do, When we only worship the true God the way we are supposed to, we will be exactly where God intends us to be. Call it a promised land. We will be directly in the presence of the perfect, loving, and forgiving God Almighty made known to us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask for forgiveness for the times and time that we place anything before you. You, O holy and mighty and merciful God, are the one that we want to serve. Help us to do that. In the name of Jesus. Amen.